0: want to get into this in Galatians chapter 4 and I want to uh, start and look at it kind of chapter four sort of obviously begins right after chapter three but uh, they actually sort of go together it's one of those things where really the story or his train of thought kind of seamlessly goes from one chapter to the next uh, chapter three ends with 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 him reminding us and telling people that hey we're you're gonna be sons of We are all brought into the kingdom of God. There's neither Jew nor Greek, but we're all going to be heirs to the kingdom. How many of you get excited when you start hearing about that? Yeah, I would hope so. We are all, every single one of us in here are sons and daughters of Christ, which makes us an heir to the kingdom of God, meaning everything that God has for His, His children, His people. Once we're in the kingdom and we're a part of it, you and I get to be a part of that that inheritance. Isn't that exciting? So, as chapter four begins, and I'm going to really dig in here in these first few verses, uh, he then sort of uses that as a good metaphor to sort of explain the difference in the law and the gospel. The law. In the gospel. Again, if you've been with us the last six weeks at all looking at this, one of the overarching themes, what we've titled it is justified by faith. That the Galatians had gotten into this, this idea, this motif. They've been believing that, hey, in order to truly be sa- in order for you to really have it, you gotta go back and do all that stuff we used to do before Jesus. And the apostle Paul was so fervent in saying, No, that's not right. That's not the case, that's not what we're doing, that's not who we are. In the first three chapters, he's reminding them. He even says that, listen, I had to go back to Jerusalem and have a council with all the other disciples. And me and me and Peter even had a discussion where I kind of called him out on some things. And I let him know that's not what we're going. We're not going backwards to where we were before Jesus. And so in order for him to continue trying to send this message to the Galatians, he gives this incredible metaphor starting in verse 1. Let's begin there. It says this, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But, in verse 2, is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So again, what we have here is a metaphor. If you understand the word metaphor, it's a comparison. He's using, or, or analogy is another word you could use for it. He's using something common to explain how the law and the gospel works. Does everybody understand that? Y'all with me so far? If y'all are, say yeah. yeah. All right. So let me break this down even in more modern times, and maybe I can kind of help you understand the way... To, notice what he's saying. Basically, the church in the Old Testament, the church that was under the law, everything up until Jesus came... They were kids. Everybody say kids. And let me make sure you understand what he's saying. He says, listen, they can be the heir, but they're still kids. I I'll, I'll, I'll have a house that, 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 that I own or I'm paying a mortgage on. And, and at some point, if I continue to own that house and me and my wife both die and we go, then it will be left to my sons in some way, shape or form. They will be the heir to the house. Everybody understand that concept? Now, my 11-year-old son, who was talking smack about how long I was going to preach, may know that at some point, I, I, probably, I know him, he's nowhere near his mind now, but let's say that he wakes up tomorrow and next comes to a realization, hey, this house is going to be mine. And since this house is going to be mine, I can do what I want to. I don't know how things work in your house. Well, I'm going to be quite honest, the way it will work in my house. I would say, son, know your role and shut your mouth. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Anybody? Okay. Because what happens? There is a, we we like to use the phrase, a child needs to stay in a child's place. Y'all, oh yeah, I'm talking to somebody now. Y'all got me excited. Y'all are relating. Y'all know what we're meaning. There comes a point where kids may be an heir at some point, but as we're talking right now, my 11-year-old son, he ain't ready to be an heir and to do the things that I have to do to make sure things work. Is this Okay. So as a result, he has to stay in his place. There are certain responsibilities that will come when he gets older. So obviously, when he, we, we, the way we operate our house, we kind of operate our house to where when we tell him to do something, we expect him to... That's right. And again, I'm, 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 I have two sons and I'm learning. I'm, I'm not the one to sit here and claim to be the expert on parenting because I'm learning more every day. Can I get a witness? But I can't tell you what I've learned from having good parents and grandparents and what the Bible says and what I've learned as a parent myself. If you don't run the house, they will. And that's not the way the Bible intended it to run. Is this okay? He meant for you to set boundaries and to ensure that those children are doing what you have asked them to do. So even though my son one day may own my house when he wakes up and his room is dirty and I say, go clean your room, I expect him to do what? That's his place. That's his job. Is this making sense? Some of y'all are saying, "Where is the gospel coming into this?" Just stay with me. We also have a system here in the United States, and you could, you know, there's, it has its problems. I promise you, I know. But there's a reason we send kids to school to get educated. Why? I get this question all the time. I even have adults that was trying to, you know, bust out what I do. You know, somebody was talking to me one day and he was like, I don't get why I had to go to college and write a paper and learn how to do it in a certain format. Some of y'all probably said that. So he was throwing it at me, you know. Well, let me explain to you. I said, that's a great question. I appreciate you bringing it to me. I say I'll be the first to say, with I know what you do with, for a living. With what you do for a living, I'm pretty sure that you'll never have to write a compare and contrast essay and put that in MLA format. I'm quite sure. I actually don't know any job that may ask you to do that. But how many times on your job have you had to read something? How many times has your boss asked you to do something or fill out a report or do it in a certain format? How many times have you had to follow the protocol in order to do that? And how many times has it been wrong and you had to redo it? That person admitted several times. said, okay. So do you understand why that process that you may not have understood when you were in a, a young person's place and you may have thought that that was kind of a worthless assignment, do you see how it prepared you with skills that you're using now? He was like, I guess you're right. And I don't say that trying to pump up it, but do you understand the point I'm wanting to make? There's a season where kids have to go to school. And why do we send them to school? I promise it's important for them to know the reading and the arithmetic and all those things. Gosh, I, I believe that. But do you realize that it isn't even about that? We're trying to teach them that they're supposed to be at a certain place on time. How many of you like, if you work for a job or you manage people, how many of you like for people to be on time? I bet when you're driving through McDonald's and six in the morning trying to get a biscuit on your way to work, you're hoping that they were on time. Amen. I mean, you when when this sermon started and that song ended, I think you were glad that PB was here on time, so you didn't have to awkwardly stand here and wait. Does that make sense? All right. You're you're teaching them to be on time. You're teaching them responsibilities to make deadlines. Why? Because there's going to be things later on that even though they don't understand, there are going to be things they don't want to do. There are things at my house when I ask my kids to do it. They don't understand it. It may not be something they want to do. My kid would much rather just play video games all day than to clean his room. But you understand there is a process that I'm teaching him and that he needs to learn. Does this make sense? Is everybody with me? The Old Testament church wasn't ready for, for, for the full salvation, God had to show them and teach them some things then, thus He established the law. So for that reason, children and servants, as far as their authority and what they do, are very much similar. Is, ever, is this okay? Very much, a, in this case, a children and a servant had the same responsibilities, but uh, Again, you probably have kids that when you need something done and you're working on something, you get your kids to do it. That's what's what they do. They live there, right? Listen, I learned this throughout. It was I went through it. I went through school and middle school and high school. And, and listen, I'll be, be kind of frank and, and transparent. I lived at home until I was 24. A few months before our wedi- wedding is when I moved out of my parents' house. And guess what? Even though I got older, and we're going to get into this, my parents didn't treat me as a little kid all of that time. I got more responsibilities as we went, but there was still that line that if I wanted to act like I owned the place, I was reminded real quick that, that, that I wasn't paying the mortgage or anything. It's okay? God had to make sure His people knew who He was, and He had to establish some procedures, some elementary procedures and rudiments that they had to follow so in verse three it says this: Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Everybody say bondage. If you can kind of hearken back and think back to that time when you were at home with your parents and you were a kid, let's be honest. Anybody ever say, "Ugh, I just they treat me like I'm a servant all the time. <sighs> I hate it here. I can't wait to get older." Anybody? Do I have any witnesses? Come on. How many, uh, how many of you packed your bags to run away when you were like seven or eight or nine? Anybody? I mean, come on. Yeah, there we go. The Lord is moving now. Yeah, we all get to that point where you, you eventually you're like, man, I am sick of this. Rules, rules, rules. Listen, there's a reason why school cuts off at 18. At least mandatory school, Right? Because people start going crazy. They start getting in high school and kids start thinking they know everything. They, you can't keep it. You, you better hope that you can somehow get them to the end. Once they think they know everything, it's, it's, you, you can't control them. Is this okay? They start getting to that moment where they think all is, all is well and they know it, so you, so you have to give them a chance. There's only so long that we can keep them because they're going to get sick of listening to someone tell them what to do. It's all right. They were in bondage because they had to be told what to do. They had to follow the rules. That was the whole point. That was like elementary school is what the Old Testament was. So listen, all of us have been in bondage. And it can be attested to a couple of ways. I wanted to pause here and make a point. A lot of times when we use the term bondage and we're using that as a comparison, a lot of times we talk about, the Bible talks about, when we're in bondage to sin. Everybody understand? There have been maybe the moments where you found yourself addicted to a substance. You may have found yourself addicted to an action. You may have found yourself just living a life that was opposite of what God's will was. And you found yourself doing things you knew were against the word. Those things had you in bondage. But aren't you thankful that the blood of Jesus set us free from that bondage? Amen. That we could be free and we can walk in that freedom. That's good. Go ahead. But here I need you to understand Paul specifically though isn't necessarily talking about the bondage of sin. Now that can be attested to it. We were in bondage to sin, but thank the Lord we're free. Here's the problem. We still have people within the church, within Christianity, within the kingdom of God who want to stay in bondage, but it's not the sin, it's to the law. It's to rules. It's in bondage to to the things of, of the world. So the Lord had to keep them in this for a moment in order for them to understand. They weren't quite ready. Listen, when you're a kid, you're just not ready. And I can prove it. I'm not trying to go back and rehash, but looking at my notes, let me mention this. How many of you, when you were a kid, your parents asked you to do something and you asked why? And how many of you had parents like I did and you knew what the answer was going to be? Because I... And how many times, is that, most of us, if you, and I, I parent that way at, at times, there's just times when the reason that you need to do that is simple. You need to do it because I told you to do it. When you're a kid, you don't really have a lot of options in that, do you? At least if you're parented well, I guess I should say. You're not given the opportunity to go back and debate and wonder, and you're expected to comply without knowing the reason. That was the state of the Old Testament church, and that's what Paul is saying. Listen, you guys don't understand. Uh, the words, the translations there go back to me, rudiment. You were kind of like in elementary school. You were just a kid. Yeah, that you are Israel, the children of Israel. You were God's chosen people. He had a covenant with you that goes all the way back to Abraham. He mentioned that at the end of chapter 3, where, where you'll be a part of Abraham's seed, and that blessing is on you, and that's great. You have an inheritance. There's a promise coming on you. But please don't misunderstand. Just because the promise is on you doesn't mean you're going to get it right away I mean I wish it worked that way it'd be great I used to love watching movies as a kid like Richie Rich anybody familiar with Richie Rich where that kid just had everything just you know didn't have to just had everything I thought that must be great I'll give you even a better example my wife was watching it this week Little Big League you may be familiar with the movie Little Big League I'm a sports guy so that was a movie I liked when I was a kid it's about this boy whose grandfather owns the Minnesota Twins and he dies, and he leaves the team to his grandson, who's like, I don't know, 12 in the movie. And so this 12-year-old now is literally the owner of the twins, and so he thinks because he's the owner of the twins, he can just... I guess he can because he's the owner of the Twins. He says, I know how to run this. So he not only makes himself the the general manager of the team, but he makes himself the manager. So this boy who hasn't even played high school baseball goes into the dugout and he's telling these grown men what to do. It it makes it a funny and interesting movie to, to watch, but the movie kind of showed and illustrated just because he was the heir, he wasn't ready for the job. Does this make sense? Just because he had the authority and God had promised it to him, it wasn't in a position yet where he could step in and use it to its full advantage. I hope this makes sense. That's the reason why Paul is saying that the Lord had to begin with the law. When he made the promise to Adam and Eve Eve, that there would be redemption, When even after the curse, he said, listen, don't worry though, your your heel is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Meaning there was going to come a moment where the devil will be put in his place and this curse will not be forever. But he didn't do that in the next year. He didn't do that in the next 10 years. He actually had to go through an entire testament of of time in order for that to come to place. Everybody with me? If you are, say... uh, Alright, so that was the state of the Old Testament church. The state was bondage. That's why they had to go and sacrifice and and all the sacrifices had to be at a certain place and in a certain time and in a certain way. And there was all the rules on what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. And there were all the rules on, on how everything had to be done. Um, again, try to imagine yourself in elementary school where you couldn't sneeze or, or anything without raising your hand and how eventually as you get older, you get sick of that. I'm tired of these people telling me what to do. Imagine that's how the children of Israel felt, but they had to go through the process. Is this all okay? All right, let's move forward. The beauty of it is we didn't have to stay there. Amen? There came a point where the body of Christ was able to graduate. How many of you are thankful that there was a time where you don't have to get up and go sit in that classroom now every day? Verse 4, But when the fullness of the time had come... and there's power in that phrase. The fullness of time had come. Listen, it's Wednesday. I have some time. Are you all okay if I chase a little bit of a rabbit here? Can Can I get a little excited and preach for you for a minute? Can I allude back to something from Sunday... I said, Sunday, we're all going to go through trials and tribulations. We're all going to go through seasons where we're going to be tested, we're all going to go through seasons that we're going to have to overcome. But aren't you thankful that the Lord promises that there will be a fullness of time? That's what He says. You may be going through it, and, and there's nothing that I can say that say you won't go through it, but I can promise whatever you're going through, you will go through it, meaning it will end, it will be over, God will have a fullness of time. How many of you are thankful for that? Just because we have to endure hardship doesn't mean we're going to stay in the hardship. Amen? I, I didn't know that, that stood out to me today and I, I, I got happy by myself. I thought you'd want to get happy too. When the fullness of time had come, the Lord said there came a point where, where my time had come and we were through with that. So God sent forth His Son who was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Aren't you thankful? And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Do you realize how great the love of the Father was? Yeah, I know you say, well, we hear this all the time. I can't hear it enough. Do you realize how great the Lord loved me, that He was willing to send His Son and have His Son be tortured and killed and mocked and ridiculed all so I could have eternal life and a relationship with Him? I can't praise Him enough for the rest of my days for that. Not only that, can you imagine the, 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 the humility of Jesus, the Prince of Heaven, the Son of God, who was willing to come down and literally subject Himself to the law? He, he was the law. He was here from the beginning. He, but He was willing to subject Himself just so He could go through this process for me. I don't think we think about that enough. He didn't have to do that. We say, well, the Lord called. Yeah, it was a duty and it was a calling. But listen, I'm called to preach, but I could put down the mic right now and leave. It wouldn't end well for me. I'm not saying I would do it, but you understand the the idea. If it really got to a point where I wanted to argue with God, it didn't have to happen. Does that make sense? Jesus could have said, no, I'm good. He had that kind of authority. But because His Father asked Him to do it, He was willing to do so, and He did that for me. How many of you are thankful for that? My goodness. And imagine this. Imagine the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, not trying to rehash anything, but holy is a word we can't even fathom because there's nothing on this earth that's even anywhere in the the atmosphere of Holy Spirit. That's just how perfect and incredible and good Holy Spirit is. And Holy Spirit, who has all of this power, is willing to come into unclean vessels like you and I and purify us and dwell here. I don't know about you, but that's enough to have me praising and worshiping for the rest of my days and beyond. There's not enough services. There's not enough hours in the day that I could give him enough praise and honor and worship for all that he's done for us. That's powerful. And as a result of all of that, now we as Christians don't have to go and live in the bondage of the law. We don't have to go back and sit and have all of that pounded into us. We can now walk in freedom. How many of you are thankful we're free? So let's talk about the advantages. What what Paul just went through. He said there that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. His firstborn who was... The, the, the firstborn that we talk about, again, metaphorically here, he's talking about Israel. That was the first covenant. When he told Abraham, I will make your nation a great nation. And Abraham's Seed went through Isaac and then the Jacob and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and then the twelve sons and everything that has come from there. Those were the people that God had made a covenant with, and those were the people He protected, and those are the people that were blessed and that He was with. But aren't you thankful that when Jesus came, He said, "Listen, I still love my my son, but but everybody else, all of us, all Gentiles who come and put our faith in Jesus Christ and are invited to the table, guess what? We get to be adopted. That means that the same blessing and privilege that I poured out. On them, I will pour out on you. I'm thankful that He promised that He will protect us. I'm thankful that He promised to provide for us when we're in need. All of those things have been poured out onto us as blessings. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. But then the next part, it doesn't change, and I think it's important. Sometimes we just think maybe He's saying the same thing. Notice He then said, Not only are we adopted as sons and daughters, we receive the spirit of adoption. So we're adopted, meaning there's legal authority there. Does that make sense? So if if a child is adopted, that means that they're going to have every right once that Legal paperwork and everything is done and all the process goes forth. Someone who's legally adopted, if I were to adopt a child, that child would have every rights that my kids would have. Does that make sense? there, there would be called a son and daughter. Now here, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it, not, but, but if let's say I adopted a, a kid from a foreign country. They would have my name and everything, but just in that adoption, they still wouldn't really have a lot of similarities with me. Does that make sense? Everybody with me if you all say yeah. But, over time, what happens when they come into my house and they begin to hear my voice and they begin to hear my value system and I begin to rear them and aid them in the way that they should go and over time they spend a lot of time in my house. By the time that they're, they're older, there may not be any physical attributes, but they would have the same spirit as one of my sons and daughters. Does that make sense? that's powerful it's one thing for Jesus to say hey you can sit at my table but you know sometimes I I like when people invite me to sit at their table but have you ever been to the tables where you just didn't fit in and you just said I don't think I'm supposed to be here I'm not talking about people who are smarter than you that you need to get with like pastor preached a few weeks ago I'm just talking you ever been in a room where you're like ugh I'm like sticking out here he's saying you're not going to be at part of the table but be one of those kind of Outcast that everybody looks at eventually i 'm giving you the spirit of adoption that means when people see you they 're not going to say, Well, they let you in, but that we definitely know that you 're not like them, no you 're going to have the same spirit where when people see jesus they 're going to begin to see your character match his character. Is this all right? We're going to see the Spirit begin to regenerate things in your life. And all of a sudden, what you used to be, you're not going to be like that anymore. And so just like the blessed people of Israel, just like the people who are in the body of Christ, people will look at you and say, yeah, I can tell that something has happened in your life. I'm thankful that when I came to Christ, I didn't just get sort of a pass and say, okay, you're in the club, but then I continue to look different and look like the world. The Lord promised and has given me the power that the more I get close to Him, the more I'll begin to act like Him and look like Him. That's the spirit of adoption that we've been promised. Not only that, we're going to receive traits and characteristics that resemble our Father. Then we're able to view our Father in the proper posture. Listen, the Lord, when He was asked by His disciples, how do we pray? What did the Lord say? He said, begin this way, our Father... If He's not our Father, we can't even begin to put ourselves in the proper posture of prayer. How many of you are thankful that we're able to illustrate and use the power of prayer in our lives? We have ability to communicate with God and to have Him communicate back with us. That's what prayer is. That's us being able to go before Him and petition Him and talk to Him and to to cast our cares on Him like He told us to do. And we can do that because we've been adopted. We've been brought into the family. Amen? I can say our Father and it not sound weird. Does this make sense? Y'all may think I'm getting real silly, silly here, but you know, I, I have a, a man in my life, my father. I call him dad. There's several men in this room right now I love and, and I look up to you, but if I came up to you and started calling you dad, it would be weird. Amen? Come on. It'd be different. It's not, not 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 the right place, not the right posture. Well, if I'm not adopted and I start calling on Father God, I'd be. Why? because he's not my father. But once I'm adopted now, (laughs) I'm at a place where I can call him my father, and it's not out of place at all. It's the exact position he wants me to be in, and I can begin to call on his name, and he'll answer. Is this okay? That's an advantage we have. And then we receive not only the adoption, not only the spirit of adoption, but Paul says that we get to receive the inheritance of sons and daughters. You understand the power of that? In this kingdom, in the worldly kingdom, especially the Jewish kingdom up to this point, there was one heir who received it all, and that was the oldest child. Make sense? Whatever the oldest child didn't want, or if they wanted to divvy up and share, then that would be on them, but the oldest child was the heir. Does this make sense? Aren't you thankful that the oldest child, God didn't say, I'm going to give Israel everything? No, He said, if you get a part of this, you get to be a part of the, the kingdom as well. You get to be a part of the inheritance. What does that inheritance look like? It's a room that I'm going to have when I go to heaven. It's a place at the table. It's a place where I get to spend eternity in His presence and with Him. Amen? That's the inheritance. It's also His blessings here on earth. As a part of the, the, the Lord's bread, we get to have healing. He says His blood by His stripes, we're healed. When I'm sick, I can call upon His name and have the elders of the church anoint me with oil. And guess what the Bible says? I'll be healed. It's provision. It's knowing that I'm never, that the righteous will never be forsaken. I'm going to have what I need provided for me. It's a part of my inheritance. So Paul starts off with this chapter, making sure you understand. Here's the reason why I'm so adamant in telling you to stop trying to go back to the law. Stop trying to go back to sacrifice. Stop trying to go back to the system where you had to earn it. And a lot of times you're going back to that system to try to differentiate yourself and make you look better than someone else. Stop that and come back to the gospel that was preached. The true gospel. The pure gospel. You can go back to that if you want to, but I would prefer to stay in the place where I get to be a son and daughter of the king. Amen? Then he begins to, in verse 8, we take another change here, and now he's going to say, let me give you another reason. That lifestyle wasn't fun. It wasn't good. You couldn't eat shrimp. You couldn't eat bacon. I mean, who wants to live a life like that? If you want to, you go ahead. I am choosing my freedom tonight. You know? Again, say that to be funny, but all of those rules and all of those regulations, they wanted to go back to all of that kind of stuff. And Paul saying, there's no reason. You, you're, you can, you're choosing to leave what, I've, what the Lord has given us. And then what the Lord has given us is a happy life. Again, I feel the need to preface, I didn't say a perfect life and an easy life, but I can be happy. I can be happy regardless of what I'm going through. Anyway, let's move forward. Look what it says. Verse 8, But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Let me point out a few things about this section. Based on this fact, he's preaching to Galatians who knew God. They came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everybody understand that? Let's be clear, he's not giving this message to people who've never heard the gospel before. These are people who heard the gospel, they accepted the gospel, but when things got, I guess, a little tough, or when, you know, Paul left, or when the right person got in their ear, they decided, well, maybe we can take the gospel, but maybe we need to go back to the stuff that we were in. And so I infer to give you this point, it is possible for someone who's made a great profession of religion to be drawn away from the purity and simplicity of it. Explained maybe a little bit more clearly and a little bit more simply. You can get to a place where you experience Jesus and you can have been saved and brought into the kingdom. You can make a public profession. The Lord can do a work in your life. But heed this warning. And this is something I will say from a place of authority that I've been through. Okay, So this isn't something I'm just telling you. This is something I've lived because I've been in this thing a while. Don't think just because you've been in church a while and you've been in the kingdom a while, you're kind of, you know, at a place where you're exempt from possibly moving back toward religion. I would dare say that there's people who have been in the church a long time who begin drawn to religion as a way to differentiate themselves from other people. Does that make sense? You can get into a place where you see someone new in the faith and you start thinking, well... You know, you're excited right now, but you just better calm down because you're going to get to a place and you're not ready for all that. And, and you start trying to put some you, you still haven't cleaned this up, you haven't done that, and you haven't. And it's real easy for you to get into a point where you start pointing that finger and, and looking around at what other people need to do and feeling like it's your responsibility to put some rules and regulations on someone just so they don't advance in the kingdom quickly. I hope this makes sense. Be very mindful that just because someone else's uh, journey is looking a little bit different, I'm not talking about someone, you know, living in sin and us trying to, you know, make sure we... Not, we I know all that. We're, we're, we're called to, 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 to look and to, to judge people by the fruit. That's what the Lord said, to, to gauge and see what type of fruit people are, are portraying. We know all that. Listen, if you, you listen to me tonight, and you see me out tomorrow doing something that you know is unholy, you're going to let somebody know about it. I know. That's what we do, right? At the same time, we can't let that position and that maturity that we start to have feel like it puts us in a place where we can look and tell everybody else how they need to be living and what they need to be doing. Is this okay? Paul's telling you and telling the people there, he said, listen, you're getting to a place where you, you're going back to the law, that's, that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're disrespecting the gospel and what has happened. The gospel's pure. It's simple. You know, one of the phrases that we hear, I hear a lot of preachers say when I listen to different sermons from different places, they mean well. But you know, a lot of people like to say, hey, don't sugarcoat the gospel. And I understand that phrasing. We we don't want to sugarcoat it in the fact that we don't want people to believe they can live any way they want to. We know there's grace, but there's also a, a purity and a holiness that needs to happen in our life. But please don't misunderstand. The gospel is sweet. Don't try to sour the gospel so that it fits your routine. Does that make sense? So, someone has to fit your mold, that someone has to fit the way you think it needs to look. The gospel's sweet, and it's for everybody who, and whosoever will, will call upon their name. The Lord will clean them up when they, they allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move in their life. Don't think you have to do it for them. Is this all right? Listen, the more mercy that God has shown in bringing someone in the liberty of the gospel, the greater are their sin and folly and moving back to a system of bondage. I believe that strongly. The Lord had to show great mercy for each and every one of us to lift us out of the lifestyle of sin, out of the mire of sin that we were in, and to set us up on the the rock of His Word and to live in this kingdom. It took a lot of mercy. And I think that when we take that mercy and we allow ourselves to go back to the way it should be and to to succumb to man-made religion and worldly laws, we've just done a great sin in that, that we've disrespected the work of Christ. Make sure that you understand this concept. And then that last verse, let's look at that again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Again, I want to be careful. Let me kind of illustrate the way that this works. I know sometimes you may think, well, you keep saying going to the law, to the law. What are you talking about? I can, there, there are several examples I could share with you. Let me share with you one. Probably about... Uh, i have to do math now. About 14 years ago, 14 years ago, I was interning with my, my spiritual father. We were going through internship process, and, and the church that he was in on Wednesdays, like we're going through Galatians right now, they had done a, a, a book study on unlocking the, the, the code of Jewish roots. It was like going back and studying a lot of the laws and a lot of the things in the Old Testament. And there's nothing wrong with the study of that, amen? If you really get into it, all of these things are symbolic because it all points to Jesus. Everybody with me? There's a lot of power in that. So we went through a study. They were going through a study on that. The church was. The problem is that some people got so into that study and all into the Jewish roots that they forgot that that's what it was. It was roots. We've grown past it to the point where they started. They started having these thoughts. They they called him and they said, Pastor, I'm really concerned. I think that you need to start opening that church on Saturday because that's the real day we're supposed to worship. And I'm not talking, I'm thinking people were sincerely bothered. They had gotten to the point where that's the day. We're going to, there's something back Okay, so that happened. He tried to teach through it. And then it got a little crazy. One of the guys who was really had gotten adamant into this and really studying it called this pastor and said, Pastor, I really need you to open the church on Saturday for me to worship. And I'm going to ask permission. I'll clean everything up. But I really think I need to bring a goat in. Now you've got a problem. Granted, was this man dealing with some things? Did he maybe maybe so? But literally, he had gotten so caught up in the Old Testament that he thought we needed to go back and get that needed to be shut down real quickly. Now you may be saying, okay, that's that's an outliner, but I mean there's a lot of people who get caught up on the Saturday-Sunday thing. There's a lot of people that get caught up in what you should wear when you come to church. I won't rehash all of that, but it's all in the same mindset. It's very easy for us to try to go back and feel that we're doing something spiritual by, by forgetting the fact that Jesus has paid the price for all of that. We don't have to go back into that lifestyle. But you get into those things. He's saying the days, the months, the seasons, and years. Listen, there's still times we celebrate the, the day of Pentecost. That was a Jewish feast. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me explain kind of how this looks in our life. We have holy days even in our culture today. I went to Walmart this week. Anybody notice what's already out? I'm excited about it, but there's I'm, the Christmas stuff is out. Amen. I love it. Some of y'all are like, oh, I get it. I love that time of year. I'm, I'm one of the biggest holiday fans in the world. But what happens, we know how it is. There's going to be people who will celebrate Christ and they'll, they'll, they'll yell and they'll make social media posts about how you say Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays. And they'll get mad when they go in the store that doesn't say it. And they'll they'll call all the ones who don't allow it to be liberals. And their life doesn't look any more like Jesus than anything else. That may have been too hard for Wednesday. I know I just brought that out of nowhere. We're going to have a, you know, we'll have a we we'll have a candlelight Christmas Eve service, and I'm thankful. I'm, please understand, don't take this in, in, in the wrong way, and God help me deliver it in the right way. But, you know, we, we can celebrate the season. We can do the things. We can, you know, we're, read the Scripture to our kids, or we can come to the, to the services and hold the candles. And then we think, okay, I've done my duty. I'm going to go live the way I want to live now for the next few months until we get to Easter. And then Easter, that's another holy day. We better dress up in our pastels and get to church that day. Again, please hear my heart. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to, to put anything. I'm thankful that we have opportunities to speak and to plant seeds in the people's lives on those times that we don't the rest of the year. I'm eternally thankful. But don't just think because we're not doing the Jewish things and we're not, we haven't thought about sacrificing a goat that we in our lives don't sometimes look at the holy and the traditional and think if I just do enough, that'll be enough to get me in. God, I kept the traditions. Look, not even the holidays. Let's be real. We talk about it all the time. How many of us uh, can get in the Well, God, I went to church. I fulfilled my mission. I even gave them some money. That should be enough, right? And if we think that's what's going to get us through alone, then we have desecrated the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. We've desecrated the work of the Holy Spirit that He does on our lives by thinking that we can make up for it with our own traditions and our own schemes. Is this okay? And Paul is grieved in verse 11. He says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Paul is pouring his heart as a minister out in here. And I want to make this point. I know I'm a minister here, so I don't want you to think I'm trying to stir up anything or get any kind of sin or anything, but... But understand, there's a lot of our ministry that may actually end up in vain. Some of you are thinking, wait. And I know the Word gives us a promise. I stand on it all the time. The Lord says that His Word will never return void. That's why I say, I think I mentioned, I believe that any time the Word is delivered, I believe any time the Holy Spirit can work, it doesn't have to look the way I need to. I believe there's a purpose every time it happens. But I do want to say what Paul is saying here. He says, "Listen, if, if you guys are going to get into this point where you're just going to leave the gospel and go back to the law, everything I've done is in vain." And listen, there're going to be people that have listened to me, delivered the word, that I've shared the word both in personal uh, encounters and on a stage, that are not going to heed what was said. It's devastating. It's saddening. But there, it saddens me. But there's people that will hear the truth and that will walk out and they'll just simply ignore it and let it go. There's ministry that will be done in vain. So listen to this point. Anytime I stand here, and even if I pray that the Lord help me, I know I, in the way that I try to engage, I know I use a lot of humor and I try to be somewhat funny. I hope that is never, ever taken for any form of flippancy or disrespect. Does that make sense? I want you to know that I take what the Lord has charged and called me to do very seriously because it is. And if I don't do what God asks me to do and I don't say what He says that I need to say and I don't deliver His message the way He has given me a talent to do, and a, 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 the blood is going to be on my hands in eternity. That's what the Scripture says. Amen? If I get up here and feed you things that aren't in the Word, that responsibility is going to fall on who? But this is what Paul is saying here, and I want us to, again, be careful. I'm not trying to... But I think there's going to be an equal responsibility at Judgment Day if the Lord has spoken to us through ministers and through people who He's put in our lives who've tried to tell us the truth and who have warned us the way of the truth and warned us what to do, and we just flippantly say, oh, I don't like that guy, I'm not going to listen to it, and we walk off and we reject it. I believe in equal vein when we take a minister's work and we reject it and don't allow it to speak into our lives I believe there's some blood that's going to be on some hands in that manner, too. Just like there's blood on mine if I don't do what I'm asked to do. Does this make sense? Paul's grieving here. He's lamenting. He's saying, Listen, I don't want what the Lord has called me to do to be in vain. I know the Lord has called me, and He'll say, I know that there's a a purpose, but please heed me. If we can't get this right with the gospel, then we're not going to, I might as well stop right now. It leads into verse 12. I'm going to read through a few more verses, and that will be where we pause for the night. This third section, I would say, of this chapter, he begins to talk about the affection that the people had for him and his ministry. So after he's, he's told them that we're going to be sons, we're going to be heirs, there's a difference. When you were a child, you had to do child things, but thank the Lord there's a maturity that came, and through the gospel now we're free. Just like an older child is able to get more freedoms as they get older and they get out of, that's the way we were. Now that we're with Jesus, we're mature and we have more freedom and liberty. Amen. And then he goes in and, and tells them, though, you can't put yourself back in bondage. Now in verse 12, he says, This, Brethren, I urge you to become like me. Now again, it was Paul being arrogant here? Was he being. No. He's saying, Listen, I'm an example. I've lived through this. There was no more prudent believer in the law than Paul. Remember how he started out as a murderer of Christians? No one loved the law and succumbed to the law more than Paul. So he says, become like me, for guess what? I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So listen, Paul's urging him. He says, listen, I know that in your heart, you're good people. Don't you love when someone's giving you the correction that Paul gave people? (laughs) I know I love when people are giving me correction, or maybe I feel like it's just all negative in a review, or I've, you know, when bosses or you know, your wife, or someone's really going through and telling you all the things you need to approve on. Don't you love when they at least at some point they bring it in and say, Hey, I know you can do it because you're a good hearted person. No one's gonna people are gonna shut down if it's all negative all the time. Amen? But he's telling them, seriously, I know you're a good person. You've witnessed it. Or I've witnessed it in you. When I came, I was physically, uh, I was in a bad physical shape. I had an infirmity. and You could have said, well, this man, you know, this man, I ain't listening to him. There's something wrong with him. But no, you accepted me and you loved me and you listened to the gospel. You didn't despise or reject it because I looked you know, like I did with this infirmity or was dealing with it. You you accepted me all along. Verse 15 what then was the blessing you enjoyed for I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me wow have you ever heard somebody come and preach or, or, or teach or, or come in your life and you loved them so much that you would even give your pluck out your eyes and give it to them I mean I know pastor appreciation is Sunday but I mean you know I don't know if Pastor wants us to start plucking out our eyeballs and throwing them in the offering plate. It's like that goat story. It's a little anyway. But no, what he's saying again is is giving an analogy. He's using this as hyperbole. You love me so much that if you thought that would help me, if I could take your eyes, put it in, it, and see better, you would have given me that to me. It's what we say, you know, about people we love, people who are in love, getting ready to get married. Man, I would, I would, I would give you my right arm. Talk about our kids, man, I would jump in front of a truck if I needed to to make sure that they were safe and they were, right? He said, listen, when I came and and, and was with you in the flesh and you heard the gospel and you began to to come into the kingdom and come into the, the body of Christ, you loved me, you received me. So then, verse 16, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? In other words, if you love me, why have you rejected the gospel? If you truly love me the way that you did, if all of that was, was true, if all of that was good hearted, if none of that was in vain and none of that was, was meant or intended just to be, then, then what has happened? Have you become that deceived? He's asking the question to jar their thoughts and to get them to think and get them to recognize, listen, stop going back into bondage. And start allowing the gospel to be the gospel. Allow your heart to be purified and cleansed to be what I've called you to be. Will you stand with me tonight? As we end this section, I'd ask for you to just to bow your hearts with me and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you. I don't know what season you may be in. I often joke around, if you're on Wednesday night, midweek Bible study, not too many people are there rampant in sin. You've at least made a choice that you're ready to follow after Christ. Nevertheless, I don't know who the Lord has brought in here tonight, but the Holy Spirit knows. There's some of you in here that maybe just this initial thought, maybe you have not surrendered your life to Jesus yet. You're still living in the bondage of sin. You still haven't laid down that habit. You haven't laid down that addiction You know the the Lord is calling you. You know that the Lord is is beckoning you. You know the Holy Spirit's telling you those things in your life that you need to lay down. You know those relationships that need to be broken, that need to be let go. You know those chains that that need to be let go. those, Those things you need to stop listening to or watching. But they've become your comfort and they've become your identity for so long that even though the Holy Spirit's beckoning, you just just can't help but go back to the bondage. I'm here to tell you, tonight's the night of salvation. The Lord is beckoning you to come home and to lay it down. And some of you are sitting here and say, well, Pastor Bradley, I've laid down my sin, but maybe you've been in that category where you haven't wanted to admit it, but maybe as you look around and you continue to grow and you've been in this thing for a little while, maybe you're in a season where you know what, Pastor Bradley, the enemy's been trying to set hold with the spirit of religion. I've thought that I've done this so long and I've done this so well that I kind of know a thing or two and I've been pointing the finger and I've been trying to tell other people how they need to do it. And maybe right now Holy Spirit needs to break that heart again and remind you of the spirit that He has given, the purity of the gospel. If you're in any of those boats, as I pray, I just ask for you to lift your hands to heaven symbolically and invite Him to come into your heart. Invite Him to melt that heart of religion, that heart of stone. Invite Him to bring His saving blood into your life to wash you clean and to allow His Holy Spirit to begin to purify you in your heart. Father God, I thank You so much for who You are. I thank You for Your many blessings. I thank You for each man and woman that's in this place. Father, You are beckoning us all to the cross. You're inviting us all to the table. Father, I pray for those who may not have accepted the invitation yet that tonight be the night of salvation. That Father, as You are drawing, that they will open up their mouths and open up their hearts and with their mouths confess their sins. Confess that they're a sinner. Recognize that You, Jesus, are the Savior. That You died on the cross And tonight, we're going to make You the Lord of our lives. We're going to surrender everything to You. Father, let that happen right now in this moment. Father, for some that are in this place, that may be a little bit out of nowhere. They've been looking at a situation, maybe dealing with an individual, maybe just observing things within the the church or within their lives. And Father, the spirit of religion has begun to rise up. Father, because things haven't looked the same way, or maybe because they haven't done the same actions they did, the enemy's trying to bring them to a place of bitterness. But Father, salvation is a place of freedom, and I pray a spirit of freedom upon each and every person that's in here. Father, we're not going to go back into the bondage of our sin, and we're not going to go back into the bondage of law and allow rules to dictate us. Father, we're going to live our lives in the freedom, the freedom that we're yours. And Holy Spirit, You will guide us and lead us and show us the things we should do and the things that we should not do. Father, I sense even right now in this moment, I speak to those who are in this place, God, that Father, they know they've trusted in You, but the enemy has still convinced them that they're unworthy, that they really aren't a part. Father, they they understand that they've been adopted through salvation, but Father, right now, I pray the spirit of adoption to rise up. Remind us, God, that You haven't just allowed us to sit at the table, but Father, You promised if we'll walk with You and continue to move, that Father, You're going to continue to purify us. You're going to continue to sanctify us. Father, You've already justified us. And Father, we will continue, God, to become more like You to the point where everyone we come into contact with will see Your glory shining through us. I break every chain and I rebuke every voice of the enemy to try to convince anyone in this place that they are unworthy when they are under Your blood. Father, I pray this week that we walk and talk in Your anointing, that You continue to lead us and guide us. Father, that You will put people on our path that we can share Your good works with. And Father, help us to live in the freedom You've called us to live in. I praise You in Jesus' name and everybody in the place say, Amen and amen. God bless you. We love you all. Look forward to seeing you Sunday. Go give the devil fits.